0: Live from Gil Silva Family Studio in Salinas, California, the salad bowl of the world. Welcome to the podcast designed to inspire, the only one built with ganas. You're going to work harder than you ever worked before. And the only thing I ask from you is ganas, desire, haircut. If you don't have the ganas, I will give it to you because I'm an expert. From the founders of Gill Basketball Academy that empowers youth to play hard, work hard, study hard, and overcome obstacles. People can't do something themselves. They want to tell you you can't do it. You want something, go get it. Period. Real interviews with real people about real life. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward that's how winning is done and now it's time for ganas leading from the heart
1: hello everyone welcome to another episode of ganas leading from the heart i am jose gill coach teacher father husband and a lifelong believer in ganas which translates to desire today on the show um we have a very special person that is really close to my heart and uh one of the main reasons why um, the success that we've had in our basketball academy and, and I've personally had in my life, uh, my high school basketball coach, Coach Jim Rear, who's Hello. with us today, Coach. Good evening. Good evening, Coach. Welcome. And uh, before we get to to the legendary Hall of Fame, uh, Coach, I want to introduce uh, my co-host to my right, my young son, Sammy.
0: Hi, I'm Sammy. Coach, it's really great to have you.
1: Yeah. And then to my left, my other
2: son, Josue. What's up, Coach? It's Josue here. I'm uh, really excited to have you on
0: today.
1: Good to see you. Likewise. So uh like I like I said, we uh Hall of Fame, uh I can go on and on all the accolades that, that uh coach Rear has uh received, rightfully received. Um he's just enjoying life right now as a as a retired uh uh fifty one year old uh <laughs> person that's just enjoying life and and with his beautiful wife Dolly and uh we want to we want to get to know you a little bit more coach and and for those that that uh do not really know much about you can you talk to us about your um upbringing your family education your career and um, how you
3: started coaching basketball sure um I grew up in Los Altos uh up in the Bay Area I went to Cupertino Junior High School, then I went to Homestead High School, then I went up to University of Portland for one semester, transferred back to De Anza Community College, and then I transferred down to Cal Poly, and uh, I I played everything. Um, When you were in junior junior high school, sports lasted like six weeks, so you went from football to wrestling to basketball to volleyball to track to baseball. I mean, you just You played everything, and so then I went to Homestead. um, Wanted to play football, basketball, and baseball. I did that my freshman year, and then during the summer between my my freshman and sophomore year, uh, playing baseball slid in, broke my ankle or dislocated my ankle and broke my fibula. So football was done. I couldn't play football anymore. So I just played basketball and baseball. Went up to University of Portland. I wanted to play basketball and baseball up there. So I went up for the freshman basketball team and just so happened the freshman basketball coach was also the varsity baseball coach. So I played two weeks as soon as school started on the baseball, they had two weeks of practice and I played uh, freshman basketball for a month and a half or so. Then I transferred back down to De Anza. I just, Portland wasn't for me. Uh, (laughs) I just, just didn't fit right. So I, Played, uh, transferred to De Anza, played the second semester of basketball, and then I went out for the baseball team, played six, seven games, wasn't happy, made a stupid 18-year-old decision, and, and I went ahead and, and quit, and then I transferred, the ne- I played basketball the next year at De Anza, then I transferred down to Cal Poly, played basketball down there for a year, and then the assistant coach wanted me to coach his son, who was a seventh grader at San Luis Obispo Junior High School. So I did that and um, took up my coaching career, took off from there.
2: And speaking on that, Coach, um, you think you can expand a little more about like um, how you got off in your, start, uh, your coaching career and how that started?
3: Well, started at the San Luis Obispo Junior High School and I coached there a couple years and then while I was still at Cal Poly, I actually coached three years of uh, Babe Ruth Baseball in San Luis Obispo. And so... I got the coaching bug. So when I got my first teaching job out at San Benicio, um, went out there and they they didn't have a sports program. They, they, had, they had nothing. They had three play days a year with Chular and Spreckles. And that was their athletic program. So I'm just, come on, we got to start something. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I started an after-school basketball team of seventh and eighth graders. And my first year there, and we did fine. And then I did that again um, the second year I was there, then the third year. Third year I was there, I coached the seventh and eighth grade basketball team, but then I was hired to coach the junior varsity at al Mm. So I'd go to San Bonancio, practice from, you know, three to five, three to four, run over to al coach the JV basketball team. Well, after my first year, then Coach Haddon decided to take a leave. His wife was real sick. So he took a leave. I was hired to coach the varsity basketball team there. Did that for 20 years. I took I took one year off because um, in 1980, North Monterey County High School was built and they laid off 56 teachers in the high school district. I was the one one of the ones who got laid off. So I got hired to go teach back up at Homestead, uh, my alma mater. And so I helped. I'm still coaching varsity basketball at South through November and half of December, mm-hmm. but I was I was getting burnt. I just couldn't do it. I, yeah. I just couldn't do it. So Corky came back, coached the varsity uh, the rest of that year, and I assisted up at Homestead. And then the following year, I got hired back at South, coached there for 20 years. Uh, then I left. I went over to Alvarez for seven years, and. That's that, that's kind of how I got into it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I did coach three years of baseball at Alisal. Um, I think two years far off and one, one year of the JVs. So that kind of kind of where I started.
2: That's, that's a great story. I didn't know um, that journey that took you to Alisal. I just heard all the stories about um, you coaching at Alisal. They call it the house of thrills. Right. So I was wondering, um, I've heard like we since I played there, everybody calls it the house of thrills. I was wondering, um, what's the story behind that name? I I don't know um, if you know a little more how that started.
3: Yeah, I think it started in 1986, 87, and we were starting to get to have a pretty decent basketball team. I think in 86 we were 19 and nine, and then 87 20, what 25 and five, and then I think Jose's senior year we're 27 and three, and we started getting bigger crowds and so what was going on we're playing some pretty exciting games and some I think George Watkins of the Californian or Dennis Lennon of the Channel 8 uh, I think they just mentioned you know geez that should be the house of thrills all the games are so thrilling mm-hmm. and so I, I think that's when it started.
1: Yeah and I remember coach uh, as uh, during that time I was in the lower levels when uh, the 86, 87, 1986, 1987 mm-hmm. team that, that um, I remember they, they'd run out to the the song, the dream team and, you know, that excitement. And so forward, fast forward years later, when I became a uh, teacher at Allison high school an art teacher, uh, um, you know, my projects were to, to do something big with the kids and some murals. And I remember the very first thing I thought of was, well, can we, let's do a mural in the gym and let's, it's called the House of Thrills, and and that's how the the mural in the gym evolved. You know, by that idea of the inspiration, of the legacy that uh, that you created for us all there.
3: Well, it was it was it was so much fun, and you, you were there, and then you you know you remember, but it was so much fun to to have success. And back in those years, the football team. Um, I think set the longest losing streak in the central coast section. And so, you know, we just weren't really, really good in football. And so (laughs) the feeling around campus and the atmosphere, it was just, you know, people really didn't have a lot of pride. And so then we started winning in basketball and you could just see the feelings of the students and the faculty and the community just start to, it just start to pick up. And, um, that was a good feeling.
0: Yeah, and my dad always talks about the five overtime game against Palma. Can you explain <laughs> a little bit more about that?
3: The legendary game. I, I think, in my personal opinion, and you know, it, it's probably the greatest high school basketball game that's ever been played in Salinas. Wow. Five overtimes, uh, Palma, and I think Palma was eleven and zero, and we were like ten and one. The game was at our place. Uh, They'd beat us by a couple points, first round of the league. So then we um, – just the atmosphere of the day of the game was um, just electric, all around campus. That's all everybody was talking about. Wow. So um, people started getting there early, and the gym was sold out before the freshman game was over. And then by the time the JV game, maybe halftime – Where you enter the gym down the hallway, there was a line to get into our game. From that door, down the hallway, through the glass doors, down to the flagpole. And so they called the fire marshal, and they they just couldn't pack any more people in there. And it was no more than a three or four point game. And we, you know, Terry King hit a couple of clutch shots at the end of. I think the third overtime and the end of the fourth overtime to tie the game, to send into another overtime. And then we just couldn't, couldn't hang on to that fifth uh, in the fifth overtime. And we lost 53 to 52, but um, we ended up going to the CCS. I think we went up to the CCS championship game, I think that year. And um, no, we went to the semifinals. And we played Jefferson, I think it was, but, um, magical game.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, a uh, it still stands out in our, um, memory because it, it was, and then remember the following year coach, uh, it was a double overtime game. So we actually two yeah. back-to-back games versus Palma seven overtimes and that game we did win. And I remember that. Yes, we did. And that felt very good. It felt great because <laughs> we were on the court and we had, uh, seniors who had graduate or the, the graduates from the year before that were on the varsity team running the court saying, thank you. Thank you. And it didn't really hit us to where like, Oh yeah, we just made up for that five over overtime loss. So um, I think the Palma
3: Alisal is just, was one of the greatest high school rivalries in, in, in the community.
1: Uh, agree. Totally agree with you. And I think, uh, the community people around the area that know basketball would also agree.
2: Yeah. Going off that coach, um, I was wondering, is there any athlete that you've coached in all your years coaching that has truly made, like, a long-lasting impact on you or even, like, a special moment that's really made a big impact on your life?
3: Uh, I, I don't think there's one. I think there, I think there's many. Um, I think back, my, you know, the first couple of years I was coaching, I had three players, Abel Perez, Perry Irwin, you know, rest his soul, and uh, Ronnie Leper, and I took them back to um, – Colorado to a a Denver Nugget basketball camp to work as as counselors, and it was just the drive out there. And we spent a night in the first night in Las Vegas, and I I took those three guys who had probably never been out of Salinas, and it was just it was an eye opening experience. Um, I had uh, Darnell Bryant and Terry King. made a couple you know ill-advised choices and so they ended up living with me uh during their senior years and they lived each of them lived with me for i don't know three or four or five months and i remember terry uh made the uh rotary all-star game and the coach of the team came up to me and he said you know you you deserve a medal you know uh, how can you handle that kid (laughs) and <laughs> I, I said he's a great kid i mean he had already lived with me for four or five months and i'll, I'll tell you a quick story after he graduated from high school he got a job with ups and tna and he wanted to buy a car but he didn't have any money and didn't have any credit came to me we went to a car dealership and i said i'll he asked me to co-sign for him and so we went down there and they wanted i want to say two thousand dollars for this car I looked at him and I said, look, I'm not going to co-sign for you. I'll just buy it for you and then you pay me back every month. He goes, okay. So went ahead and bought it and he never, ever missed a payment. He never was even 24 hours late with a payment. And he just showed so much uh, responsibility. Um, you know, I, I think Joe Medina had, had an effect on me you probably changed my coaching philosophy and the fact that we were trying to put in a delay game. We called tempo. And, um, we're I have an offense called the flex. And so I, I really didn't know what I was doing and I moved the flex up to the free throw line and we started running it and just, just as a delay game. And then Joe said, um, coach, can we try something? Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing anyway. And so he said, well, if we set a back screen, can we look over the top for a layup? Yeah, let's give it a go. And, and we put that in. And I remember we were pretty effective at running the clock down because there was no shot clock then. Yeah. And we were playing um, North Salinas. And the coach of North Salinas was Steve Blazer. And Steve and I had been roommates for two years. We were in each other's weddings. You know, really good friends. So he comes up to me and he says, you know, you, you run that stupid delay game you have. I'm going to stop you. I'm going to camp somebody right underneath the, the basket. You're not going to get a layup. I said, oh, okay. So there's a minute and a half to go in the game. We're up by six. So I go into the delay game. He camps his guy down there. We run the delay game. We run a minute 30 off and we win by six. <laughs> I told him after the game, I said, you know, you, re- you really stopped us. We-, we didn't even score on
1: there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, and I was telling my boys here coach about, uh, um, I remember, uh, back in the day when you used to call timeout and, you know, I still, I still as a coach now at the, at the high school, you know, we really don't sit down now. We sit down once in a while, but we would stand and you would be on the floor with your piece of chalk drawing yep. on the, on the floor. You know, and uh, looking back on it, it was it was pretty strategic and genius because nobody saw what you were actually writing, you know, and then you would erase it with your hand. And it's probably not allowable now to carve into the floor. But um, what, what was
3: the meaning behind that, Coach? How did that start? Um, my high school coach did it. The college coach did it. They, we didn't they didn't have those clipboards back then where you could draw on the clipboards. <laughs> And so I think one year I actually, when they repainted the gym floor, I had like, actually had them paint in a court right, right in front of the bench. So I, you know, didn't have to draw these lines for the court and the free throw line. I actually had it in the court and I could diagram, you know, whatever we wanted to do, oh, wow. but it, then it just became my, my lucky piece of chalk and um, uh, Mary Barker writer for the uh, Monterey County Herald just she, we beat, uh, I think one would beat Andrew Hill. She put in there, you know, Andrew Hill was really tall, six 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 five or so. But Coach Rear had his lucky piece of chalk, so they were okay.
2: Yeah, t- talking about, um, like, stuff from the past, too. My dad always talks about how all the players, um used to play at Cluster, too. Like, that was how they b- built their game, kind of built that competitive edge. So I was wondering, like, how, what does that, um, what do you think Cluster Ball had an impact on on your players
3: at Al-Sal? Closter Park. I think Closter Park is where um, my players learned to be tough. They never back down. They don't cry about some, you know, measly foul. And if you want to stay on the court, you win. Um, they learned who they could depend on, because it was all the Aliso kids and and adults. And Jose knows that sometimes criminals. Um, They learned who they could trust and and they learned who trusted them. And I could always find some of my players at Closter Park on, on Saturdays and Sundays or in the evenings, holidays, summertime, they were always down there playing. And I know one time we won our game on Tuesday evening. We didn't play on Friday. So I gave them Friday off. I said, you know, let's just take Friday off. It's league season. And so, after school bingo they all went down to class park and they played for two or three hours so i think it's where they learned to hone their game and just just play because you never you never had heard all players bitch and moan on the court about a bad call about a rough foul they were just that's how you play the game mm-hmm. and so i it was so instrumental in their toughness because when we got in in difficult situations in basketball games my players just responded and they had done that their whole life you know and and
1: uh speaking on that i remember the philosophy at cluster was no blood no foul so for you to call <laughs> for you to call a foul you'd have to have some major cojones and courage to call it because you knew you were going to get a you know someone uh who at that time we didn't know, but now we call them bullies, who would you know get in your face. But you know, I, I think uh, they respected the fact that we played for you, and then we played at Al Sal. Um, and I remember, you know, uh, you, you were you were kind of nice when you said there was some some shady people that played there, you know, and, and those are people that we we grew up with. Um, we we can go on with stories about that, but they uh, they protected us, you know. At times, uh, they. Uh, they respected us, and, and they knew that we were also basketball players. And I remember when when you would pass by in your gray van that looked like yeah. a spaceship kind of. Um, <laughs> it was a Toyota van. <laughs> Toyota. <laughs> it, it really stood out because that van everybody knew. It was Coach Rear. So, I mean, you would drive by, and I knew you would drive by to see we were there. We were okay um, And you, you because you cared about us so much. And, and we'd always um, – we'd be teased by them. Oh, there goes coach. There goes your coach. There goes your coach. But um, yeah, it was a safe haven for us.
3: It was. And I I think those, those adults and older people, you know, they may, they may have fouled you hard and knocked you on your butt, but they helped you out. And you're right. You earned their respect and, and by them playing physical, uh, demanding more of you out there, I think that helped the whole team.
1: It it did coach. And, and I remember, I mean, it, we, we didn't know their names. I mean, they all had nicknames, you know, it was Rhino and cloud, right. And little Ruben and Chilo and fruit, all fruit? these guys that are our friends. Fruit. And, some of yeah. fruit. I mean, but, but we all knew them by their nicknames and, uh, um, those are some of the best memories we ever had. And, uh, and I would not change a thing about that because it made us who we are. And, and, uh, you were dead on on that that um, that respect and that love for the game, and um, was there, and that was that was home
3: for us. That was our second home. Park. Oh, you were there anytime you guys uh, didn't have school or didn't have a family commitment. Find you down there, true. find your cluster part. So true.
0: Yeah, and to add on to that, what was your proudest moment as a coach?
3: You know, there, there's so many games, I guess, that we were successful at, and um, having people come up and give you a hug after a game. I had a player, Ryan Siegel, his dad, Bill Siegel. We beat uh, Piedmont Hills in the semifinals, and he came out of the stands, and and, and I thought he was going to break my neck. He jumped up, grabbed me around the neck, and I didn't know who it was, and kind of pushed him to the ground. I mean, I I thought this guy's going to kill me, but I think the proudest moment that I, that I ever had was when I was inducted into the Salinas Valley Sports Hall of Fame, and that was because of all the players who played for me and, and did that. And here's a picture of, I think we had 25, 30 of my former players there, and um, you see this guy right here, that Jose guy there. Um,
1: (laughs) that was a that was an amazing night
3: it was i think that was on a saturday night and i think the friday night before most of those guys showed up at kind of an impromptu um dinner at a a restaurant in town and every one of the guys who was there stood up and kind of told a story of something and then i kind of responded when they were all done and some of their wives and some of their parents spoke. And then when I was all done, they were all done. I got to speak about each one of them, what they meant, what they brought, and, and so on. I was so proud that night. Um, I mean, I've been invited to their weddings. I've been invited uh, to their birthday parties. And, yes, I've been invited to some of their bachelor parties. So, um,
1: <laughs> we want stories, because We want details. <laughs>
3: I was just, I was just so proud to be associated with all of those players. Uh, Robert Sides brought eight players from my very first basketball team to that night. That's Robert's way off to the left in a cowboy hat. But um, it was just, I, I came home after that banquet and, and Dolly and I just sat around and I just, I, I, just, I can't believe this. this, this was just so amazing. It just felt so wonderful.
1: You know, and uh and I'm sure gratifying because I was part of that um special evening of you being elected into the uh the Hall of Fame. And it it hit us all because um we all have stories about the memories that that sports have for us, right? And those that our podcast listeners that are that are out there listening and that played high school basketball or Middle school, you have all these memories and you always have a coach that you could always say, yeah, that coach had an impact on my life. But what was your strongest asset as a coach um, now reflecting back? And uh, why Why do you think it's critical for coaches nowadays to be aware of
3: the impact that they have on the youth? Um, I think I knew the importance of practice. And I would have a practice plan, and I would have it down to the minute. So we're going to start at three fifteen, and we started at three fifteen, whether you were there or not. And very rarely uh, did I have any players late to practice, or let alone miss a practice. And I never missed a practice in my entire coaching career. Wow! I just wow. Um, I was never late. I never missed. I never missed a game, and. The other thing, I know God gave me the ability, I could just see the court, and I I pretty much knew when they weren't given 100%, and I I was always able to hold them accountable, and I, I think that helped me, because a reporter came in one time, and he asked me a couple of questions, and while the guys were doing layups, right at the beginning of practice, and so it was two or three minutes, real quick. He asked me a few questions. So then the guys were done with uh, our pregame layup. I said, "Okay, get on the line. You owe me 15 uh, liners, suicides." <laughs> they kind of looked around and, went, "What? I said, you missed 15 layups and warmups?" <laughs> and they kind of looked around like, "How the hell did he know that?" So I, you know, I was able to, I was able to see things now. If you think back, and, and I think, um, how, how you know, coaches have such an impact on, on the players. Uh, if you think back, you can probably um, name all your coaches that you ever played for, w- whatever the sport was. You probably remember their name. Yet, tell me the name of your seventh grade math teacher, or your tenth grade English teacher. Yeah. Coaches hold that special place in, in their players' lives. And I I was working or I was consulting with a family group called Family Violence Prevention Fund. And we were working on uh, teaching our athletes that violence against women is not right. Mm-hmm. So they flew me back to Washington, D.C., and I got to speak in front of, in front of these senators. And um, one of the parts of my speech was, you know, how – Coaches have influence on young people much more so than a lot of other people, and I looked out in the audience, and then 150 people out there—senators, uh, mayors, congressmen—and and I told them the same thing. You can you can go back and and tell me who your little league coach, mine was Mr. Stevens, who your freshman basketball coach was, you know, mine was Mr. Benson. So I. You can just go back and it's those coaches that had the influence. And I think coaches today, when they get into the profession, they, they need they need to remind, uh, remind themselves that they're going to have a big impression on the kids who play for them. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, sir. Yeah, man, that's very true, coach. I mean, I'm thinking about it now. Like, um, I don't even know if I can remember my second or third grade teacher's names, you know? So, like, really, coaches do, really do have that um, impact on people's lives. So, looking back at it, if you could, like, change one or two things about your coaching style or – just the way you coach what would you change
3: I think I would have listened to my players earlier in my coaching career um, I would have talked to the players and not talked to Adam um, I think I would have emphasized playing harder on defense you know ne- never play could never take a play off um, those are some of the little things I, I just I think I always got to know my players. I got to know about their families and their home situations and, you know, driving places, driving up to Lake Tahoe. Um, A lot of coaches asked me, they said, Jesus, is that Lake Tahoe basketball camp really that good because you're coming back here having a lot of success and they must be teaching you some great things up there. But what they didn't understand, it wasn't necessarily that the three day camp was that great. But the drive from Salinas to Tahoe in my silver spaceship, as Jose calls it, <laughs> um, I got to talk to the players. And so I made sure they rotate uh, in the passenger seat next to me. And they got to know me and I got to know them. And, and I think that was so important. And I had one former player, he was a senior. And I we were losing or whatever, and I was getting anxious and I kind of raised my voice and he, he said, "Coach, we don't disagree with what you're saying. It's just how you're talking to us." And I kind of stopped there and I went, "You're right, you're right, I got it. I mean I can raise my voice, but I' can't, I can't raise it in a manner that I'm belittling them. So I think I would have been a little, a little calmer when I was younger.
1: You know, it's funny how you, you bring up that, uh, the Tahoe, the South Lake Tahoe camps, and I remember, it's the first time in my life I'd ever been to Lake Tahoe with you, and um, funny how this, how the world works, uh, Coach Tom Orlick at the time at South Lake Tahoe is now uh, associate coach at Stanford, you know, um, for the men's basketball team, and, and Josue, who's who's part of the program there when i when i told him the story you know about coach rear taking us to south Lake tahoe and he was a coach on um, my I, I had the chance to to mention it to coach orlich and uh he right away just said jim you played for jim rear <laughs> and i said yep i played for coach rear. he goes oh my god why didn't you tell me i'm like i i tried you know waited for the right moment and uh since then, you know, he, he just, we, we had that little moment of we have something in common. And, uh, uh do you remember that story? Yeah. About
2: and he, he's always asking me how you're doing and stuff and say, how to coach Ray So he definitely, um, remembers you and, um, has a, has a lot of respect for you as well.
3: Well, thank you. But I think part of the reason was that, you know, he beat us every time we went up to the terms, <laughs> except one year when I had Darnell and, and Pancho Carrillo. We beat his team the first game in his little summer tournament. Uh, he didn't take that well at all, but he'd probably beat me 20, 20 times before that. Another <laughs> quick thing, when I first started taking the teams up there, he would actually open up the wrestling room at the end of the gym in, in the, the smaller gym and let us bring sleeping bags and we got to, we actually slept in, on the wrestling mats. That's right. Yeah, to, yes, to save us some
1: money. I remember that. And, you know, another, uh, uh, <laughs> um, I, I I, still can't believe this, but um, story of South Lake Tahoe when uh, there was a shootout and uh, the, the three point shooting contest that they used to have, right? Um, uh-huh. Because we weren't, none of us were in the slam dunk contest because uh, <laughs> we couldn't touch the net. but Well, Ho- Jose, you <laughs> could have been in that, you just chose not to win it. Yeah, yeah there we go. <laughs> so I remember the three point contest and, uh, the year after when I graduated and you took uh, the sophomores um, or the next class and, and uh, my brother-in-law Francisco uh, Frankie Silva was uh, one of those that got to go and he got to go up against uh, Jared Haas in the, in the final of the three-point contest and his, his, his proud moment was that he beat Jared Haas who went, out to, who went on to play at Cal Berkeley and started in the backcourt with Jason Kidd and now is a head coach at Stanford University and yep. uh, my godson, uh, Francisco's son, Israel, committed to play basketball at Stanford for Coach Jared Haas. And so I remember telling uh, Coach Haas that story, and he just started chuckling, and it was like, wow, this is unreal. It's a small world. It's a small world. Yeah, Coach, so, you know, as we wind down our podcast, and, and I'm sure our listeners are going to love uh, all these stories, and it's been a uh, it's it's uh we can go on for hours we got to get you back on for another show, um but you know Ganas is the name of our show and you exemplify that perfectly as an inspirational, coach father, father figure and husband, but um you do so much and especially in our basketball academy in the Gill basketball academy you, you are always uh, volunteering, uh, to give me advice to give advice to the coaches you come speak to the kids um you're an active board member with us and you know all that is is desire all that's ganas you you don't have to do it you want to do it and you take time to do it so to our for our podcast listeners out there can you um what advice would you have for them when it comes to 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 ganas and desire because i know many coaches are going to be listening to this podcast and uh
3: and uh it's more it's more than just coaching the game well, if I had some advice to give to the coaches, um, don't give up on the players. Um, see the good in the players. Um, let them know your expectations. Uh, talk with the players. Get involved with their lives. You'd be surprised how much commitment or effort you know, you're know you going to receive in players if you show them you care about them. Um, everyone has that, everybody has that special person in their life that they don't want to let down, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a relative, a coach. And remember that that one person, that one teacher, that you always wanted to come prepared to their classroom because you just didn't want to let them down. Uh, when my daughter was growing up, I said, if you misbehave, I'm going to send you down, and you're going to have to explain what you did to Auntie Auntie Ani. She was no, don't do that. Don't do that. So <laughs> It could be it could be a priest. It could be anybody, but there's that one person you just think back who you just didn't want to let down, and what traits did they have to make you feel that way? And I think if you you know think about why why can't I not let them down? Um, when I say don't give up on players, I had a player um, played for me his junior senior year, Jose Estrada. Just, just was on playing basketball, who knows why. He wasn't very good. And um, his junior year, he, he kept him on the team because I didn't cut anybody because I hated cutting people. It made me feel bad. <laughs> so he's sitting on the bench. And finally, I said, you know, he's, he's disrupting the bench. So I made him sit next to Joe Mazuka my assistant. And that kind of got him. And he didn't get to play his junior year. His senior year, he started. Now, here's a kid. Growing up on the east side of town, he has nothing, didn't play any other sports, has nothing. And all he did was kind of misbehave. He couldn't jump, couldn't shoot that well. He wasn't that fast. Yet he was my starting small forward on a team that went to the CCS championship game. Yes. San Jose State. And he had a huge and impact on we the team. Just, we kept bringing him along and, and, that was a
1: huge success story, oh yeah, I remember that and hey, coach, as we wind down our our segment, our podcast uh, uh, we're gonna finish off with a uh, our Carnasada aspect. you know I love to barbecue. you've been to my house and when we have food and and I think uh, I think you enjoy it so we're we just kind of ca- casual conversation of in the backyard, and we're gonna ask you some questions, and then you know whatever comes to mind first, we want you to answer it, but Little rapid fire questions that coming at you, coach. Oh, we're gonna do that right now. We're gonna do it right now, coach. We're gonna do it. Oh, okay. I'm not ready, but let me let me. I'll be right back. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go, coach. Okay, I'm ready. Game on the line. Who do you have taking the last shot, Curry or Thompson? Curry. Good good choice. Good choice. All right, LeBron or Kobe? Kobe.
3: Good answer. Mamba.
0: Nike or Adidas?
3: Oh, boy. There's so many different facets. You mean one who puts more money into shoes? Okay, I'm going to go with Nike. <laughs>
1: Nike, okay. Yeah. Favorite basketball movie of all time? I Before you answer it, I kind of went out on the limb and, and, and answered it for you, and I told the kids, so let me see which you, you choose.
3: Favorite basketball movie of all time? Favorite basketball movie of all time. You already answered it for me? I, I think I'm right. I think I got it. Hoosiers. No, no, no. Yep, Hoosiers. You got it,
0: Yes. (laughs) What's your favorite food?
3: Anything my wife makes. (laughs) Good answer. That's a nice, safe answer, yes.
2: (laughs) Um, Let's say you're channel surfing right now looking for something to watch. Would you rather watch an intense NBA game or NCAA game?
3: Oh, NCAA all all day long.
1: Yeah. Coach, here's your final one. Your favorite John Wooden story.
3: I think the first time I met him when I worked his camp – uh down at Cal Lutheran. And uh, I mean this was in 1973, I think it was 72 or 73. And I think it was his last year of coaching. And I mean, they'd won 10 NC2A championships uh, and whatever. And I think I was walking across the dorm courtyard at lunchtime and it was empty. And so I was running back to my dorm, I don't know, go to the bathroom or something. And there comes John Wooden walking across towards me in the inner court area. And I'm thinking, my God, there's John Wooden. Oh, what, what do I do? What do I do? And finally, I said, coach, my name is Jim Rear. I'm working your campus. Uh, Jim, great to meet you. Glad you're here. And the following year, I worked his camp again and he's in the gym and my group happened to be right in front of the stage because he would stand on the stage. And and do the drills, and he looked down. And he goes, "Jim, can you come up here and help me?" My oh, God, he he remembered my name, <laughs> and I just I for it. He was he was really an incredible person.
1: Yeah, you know, I I remember that one time when you and I went to um, CSUMB, right, and we uh, got to see John Wooden and uh, Coach Pete Newell, and uh, yep. it, it was such an amazing night the 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 night of legends, I believe it was. It was titled a fundraiser. Yeah, Night with the Legends.
3: Night like with that. the Legends. And, so. and when they coached against each other, when Pete Newell was at Cal and John was at uh, UCLA, just Cal beat him more than than uh, he beat UCLA. Yeah, amazing, wow. amazing.
1: Wow, this has been quite a podcast. Uh, thank you, Coach, for being on our show. Yeah, thank you, thank Coach. You. Thank you. And that's our show today. We'd like to thank Coach Jim Rear for being a special guest on our podcast.
2: On behalf of the GBA family, keep leading with Ganas.
0: My heritage deep in my veins. Blood of a king, not different than most. I come from a long line of hussars we dig from the dirt. No need to boast. My heritage taught me to fight. the we win a while they bust in their back. My heritage made me a wolf. I'm ready for a battle as I lead my pack. My head held high because I'm proud of my roots. My heritage. Gave me a boot, gave me a boost to the top now unfair that we running from the cops. Now this is America. Don't sound surprised. surprise. They go on the news and spread it with lies. Truth to the evil's in different forms. The rich can get richer, bro, it's a norm. History repeats itself, that's how it goes. Trump signing bills, and I call it Jim Crows. What's up? It's the fan, we still got each other. I trust in my neighbor, just like my brother. Our heritage taught us the power of unity. We always on top as we got community. And I take that over money any day. We stick together, our problems gonna fade away. My heritage taught me when there's a whale, there's a way. We need to find that way. My heritage, my heritage, my heritage. It taught me to hustle. My heritage, my heritage, my heritage. It taught me to fight.